2: Oh, 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 oh Satisfied
1: desire Yes, it is, yeah yes
3: it
2: is. Yes it is. Yes, it is. yes, it is, yes, it is Oh, yes, it is Comprehend the Guidelines my chest out, chinchilla, all relaxed on the sidelines I'm so famous, understand New York City respect my game like Joe Namath And I protect my name like Joe anus In prison, y'all don't hear me I'll Alrighty, listen, you hear that song, you know the, the show This is Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network I'm live right now <laughs> Yeah, that's right I stole that from ESPN, but hey, what can I say, man? You know, it's a copycat league. We're talking about the National Football League and football's back. Hall of Fame weekend. Now, I got to admit, I was a little disappointed because I wasn't there. I had some personal things that just got me all caught up, and I didn't make it there. Shout out and happy birthday to my man, Kevin Mack. Of course, right now, I'm on Facebook as I do the show. Looking forward to having a great show. Got a good friend who's going to join me on the show. And uh, we're going to have a great time because prime time was live in my hometown. I got to say, man, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ceremony, beautiful day. It started out, uh, you know, pretty hot and pretty humid. I could check my man Richard Dent. I'll shout out to Rich. I, I-, I can tell Dent was hot, you know, sweating. I think I'm going to talk to the mayor and to the Hall of Fame, you know, everybody back there and see if we I think we can get some 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 fans. Or some portable air conditioned units so that the, the men will be a little bit more comfortable there up on stage. But I thought it was a um it was just tremendous. You know that that's it gives you an opportunity to see players in a way in which you've never seen them before. In the case I didn't say, of course you listen to Rail Sports on the Voice America Network. I am your host, Ray Ellis, and I'm talking about Pro Football Hall of Fame's greatest weekend. Now I know it was over with. This past weekend, but just as it is more than a weekend, we got to talk about it for more than just that weekend. We got to continue to support these men and let them know how important it is to us, what they gave us. They gave us something special, not just that day, not just the ceremony, but of course, their entire careers. Shannon Sharp, Marshall Falk. Man, I, you know, <laughs> the speech is just, okay, I'm omitted live. I know you saw it on Facebook. I posted it and I talked about it a little bit. But I was a grown-ass man. I'm crying. Okay, I'm 25. You figure it out. I'm 25. I'm a grown-ass man. I'm crying. And that's in reverse. You know that, right? But, I mean, th- these grown-ass men broke me down. I'm like, what? is anybody watching me? Am I crying? Am, am I crying? Is that a tear? Is that another tear? Man, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm the type of person who played this game. I have so much respect for those people that, that played the game. And and I, I enjoy watching them play. But I have a lot of respect for the men and what it takes for them to get there because I know what it took for me to get there. And I'm sure as hell not going to be. In, I've been in Canton, so I'm like, I know I'm not going back to Canton. I'm going to go back there, too. Of course, you know, have fun with my friends, hang out for the holidays, Hall of Fame festival. But I, there's no, I, one of my friends said something to me, listen, man, don't, don't wait on me to get in the Hall of Fame. I, I wasn't good enough to make it, but I'm sure as hell happy to be part of that fraternity of those that did make it. And when they show the other side of them, of which I've said to you many times, football is what we do, it's not who we are. And then once they open up and let you in for you to see who they are and they break grown ass men down and make us cry, man, that's a beautiful thing. That's my own little added version to a clapping audience since I don't have one. Monk, you know how to do that thing. But anyway, it was just a beautiful, beautiful day. And even though there was not a game, and I'm going to put my man Chris Slade on the spot here because I know Chris is supposed to be joining me here in a few minutes. Even though there was not a game, I got to be honest that, you know, sometimes when you play football, when somebody gets hurt, somebody else is supposed to step up to the plate, as we call it, even though you're not you know, playing baseball, you're playing football. Somebody else has to step up to the plate and you got to fill in. And there is supposed to, for those that are watching the game, there's not a glimpse of thinking that the, the starter or the superstar is not in the game because somebody else stepped up, was prepared for that moment their one shining moment in life and they get a chance to step on that field and they just hit the ball out the park again another you know just a sports you know term that we use we ain't playing baseball we talking about football but you just play your ass off and I gotta say this there was not a Hall of Fame game this past weekend but I'm telling you the Hall of Famers that went in an induction ceremony they made up for it if you paid to get a ticket if you watched on cable, if you watch wherever you watch it at, you got your money's worth. You thought you saw a game. I mean, they they just they were talking about things that touched them in life, and you felt like the same kind of emotion you have when you play a football game, when your team wins. You know, you're happy. You know, you don't always come to tears when your team wins, but there's an emotional uplift. And that's what the man gave us this weekend. I'm gonna tell you what. You talking about raising the bar. You talk about all the things that we were afraid we were going to miss because of a lockout. Those men this weekend told you why everybody was on an emotional roller coaster. They 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 gave it to you. They made you feel, man, this is why we were afraid we were going to miss a football season because nothing in life takes us to the edge like football does. For men to tell their stories of how they accomplished what they did, what sacrifices they and their families made for them to get there and for them to give all they could so that you could root for them. And you could have a team like... Whatever team primetime played on, damn near all of them. You know, whatever team Shannon played on, all of them. You know, what, what, Marshall, all of them. Richard Dent, all of them. You know, and and it's 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 a it's a thing. Whereas sometimes it's worth the price of admission. And for those of us that tuned in, it was worth the price of admission. Now, as I said, they've raised the bar. This football season, it's got to be over the top. Whoever finally makes it into Indianapolis and plays that game, it's got to be a culmination of of everything that started from the lockout to this Super Bowl. It's just got to be way over the top. So whoever those teams are is going to make it, you know. This season leading up to that, it's got to be the best one. It's got to be, you know, each year it's got to get better because that's what is happening with these induction ceremonies. Each year is they're getting better and they're getting you ready for football. Are you ready for some football? Hell yeah. I'm ready for some football. Man, I was ready to go out and play as I was watching them induction ceremonies. Mama, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm looking up to heaven right now. Mama, prime ain't got nothing on me. Now, I understand a couple things he said might be a little different, but, shoo, Mom, I work just as hard, you know? So I just want to I just wanna let everybody know. I got my brother Chris Slade calling me on myself. I'm going to do something that you ain't never seen before. I think somebody did this on TV one time. Eddie Murphy did. Let me do this. Hello? Yes, Chris. Okay, I'm going to give it to you right now, Chris, because, see, I'm doing the Eddie Murphy thing, man. Uh, no, 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 it, it wasn't Eddie. I think it was uh one of the guys, one of them, you know, big time actors on TV doing the show. And he was taping. And uh and one of his boys called his cell phone and what he did, was well, he answered it. So I want you to know right now, Chris, you on the phone with me as I'm on the show. So I'm going to give you the call in. Okay, my man type. It was Chris Tucker. <laughs> so, here you go, Chris. The call in number 888. I know. I I did I did it wrong, Chris. Said, now where you going to make me look bad on my own show, see? <laughs> It's 888. Now he got to get a pin, y'all. we gonna get on him when he get up. 888-346-9144. That's right. I want you to call right now. Chris. We waiting on you right now. (laughs) Okay, but now see, that's how you do it, man. Chris Tucker kept it real too. It's like, man, I'm doing a show right now. I'm doing a live show. This is live. So if my guest says he's, doesn't have the right number. He calls my cell phone. I gotta answer it, and I gotta put it on him. I can't put it on me. I can't say that I made the mistake that I gave him an 800 number instead of an 888 number. I gotta put it on him. Plus, he played for the Patriots. Come on, man. I can't, you know, Patriots and Eagles, we don't really get along. Uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> Did I hear that correctly? Oh no, Chris! What you that? That was on the eight hundred show. You heard that, not on the eight 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 show, man. Oh my bad. That's why I
4: couldn't get through.
2: What's going on, man? I got Chris Slade with me. How you doing,
4: Chris? Man, I'm doing wonderful, Ray. Doing wonderful, man. Everything is good.
2: Well, listen, man, I, I I am very appreciative of you calling. As you know, I've been trying so hard to get you on my show, man. Uh, I've made mistakes and in, in, in with times and confirming and even giving you the wrong number. That tells you how excited I am to have you on the show. So I, I'm glad that you joined me, man. So I just wanted to ask you real fast. Either, either,
4: either you're in, you inspired to have me on it or you're just trying to send me
2: a hint. No, man. Well, you know, I do. that. I, I, I'm going to tell you, man, I, I it was worth the price of a ticket. I did go to the Super Bowl, and it was your old team because you had left and you had gone, but the Patriots did beat my Eagles, so I do have some problems. We got to keep it real. That's yeah. somebody else's show. So I had some problems, man. You know, both, struggling
4: both through this. Both coaches figured it out. My coach get rid of me, they go. Your coach get rid of you, and they go. And that's and some. Wow. Leave and then they go on to win. And it's our the fault Rangers too. Won three afternoon, I leave. Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, listen, man. The Eagles or the Browns ain't won one yet, so I I, I can't <laughs> say they figured it out yet. But let me go. But they did let me go. But listen, man. Let me ask you, man. You you of course had a great career, and we're gonna talk about that. But let's pay some respects to to the guys who just went into the Hall of Fame this weekend. Now, I, I gave it up. I'm gonna be on honest i said i was a 25 year old grown ass man crying which i'm obviously the reverse i'll let those figure that out but anyway as you watched it chris that was how was the emotion man and you as you watched that if you got a chance to watch it or if you've gone back and looked at that on youtube or heard about it share with us man a little bit about how you feel somebody who played the game you know at the highest level damn good football player but just as you watch these men you know in their induction ceremonies how, how'd you feel about that
4: well, you know, first of all, man, you know, I, it uh, it made me feel great. I mean, I played against four of those guys. I played against Marshall. Obviously, he was in the AFC East back when I played in New England. So, I played against Marshall like twelve times. Played against Dion. Obviously, he was on the other side of the ball. Played directly against Shannon, um, and uh and so you know those three guys. And, and I had like obviously personal experiences playing against them and watching them for a long time. So, I was just delighted to say that you know that. First of all, all those guys deserve to be there. I know I can tell you that firsthand, especially being against Marshall. Um, they all deserve to be there. All great players, very you know, all good guys. And the thing about it is, is it's just it, it, it made me feel good to see that these guys got in, well deserved. It was a lot of passion and all the speeches. You know, obviously Dion talking about his mother and Marshall talking about his high school coach, who's kind of like took him on as a father. Um, and then you know, and then of course you get, you know Shannon, his story about growing up uh, down in the sticks. If you may, of, of Georgia and, and watching his struggles and going to Savannah State and just coming out basically just saying that you know Sterling was still the best athlete in the family, even though his brother, you know, Shannon's in the Hall of Fame. So just listen to those listen to those t- testimonies. Just um... you know, man, you can just tell that they see that they were heartfelt, and uh, just the fact that I got a chance to play against all those guys, I can personally say they deserve to beat. And I don't know, you know, obviously Sable personally and Chris Hamburger. Uh, Being a hometown boy, he's from Newport News, Virginia, so I knew about him as a child growing up when he played for the Redskins. So I don't know him personally, but know who he is. So for me, it all kind of hit home, and it was all personal experiences that I've had, either playing against those guys or spending some time with them off the field.
2: And, you know, you mentioned uh, Chris Hamburger, who I was going to mention later on, because, you know, when we really talk about... Uh, you know, the NFL, and we talk about those who paved the way before, you know, I got to be honest myself, I, I'm, I'm 52 years old, those out there know I'm just playing a little game about that 25, but Chris Hamburger is one of those men that I watched as a kid, and he definitely was a hard-nosed ball player, damn good linebacker, and, and he really is the generation that they talk about that paved the way for today's players. And so I'm so happy that he got a chance to get in. And he was extremely humble, but he he certainly was worthy of it. And sometimes it's a generational thing. So the people that are watching it today that, that are 25 years old and not 52, they may not appreciate Chris Hamburger like I do. Like you said, you you appreciate the fact because the the legacy lives on because you're from his hometown. So you right. certainly appreciate that, and you know the history. But those are there's some other people out there who don't really appreciate it. and I'm gonna tell you, uh, and I think it was 55 that he wore for the Washington Redskins. Man, listen, yep. he used to bring it, man. He 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 had yep. a serious, serious, serious ball game, and he definitely was uh, worthy of uh, you know his induction. and uh, And I think there was another uh, gentleman who had passed away, and his son. Uh, received it on his behalf. I think it was Richie Richard Ricker. Ricker right. And he Definitely. too you know deserved it. And I'm so glad and and part of the way we can uh understand uh their worthiness is of course uh, what Mr. Sable did. So I got to take a break, but I'm going to take you know, a we, break.
4: You also excuse me. I'm interrupt you, man, but you know, I think we we can't be remiss you know not even you know mention Richard Dent, another guy who was just a pass rush demon who I, who I also got a chance to play against early in my career. He was, at that time, he was with the uh, Indianapolis Colts. So, um, you know, he was, you know, he, was, he invented that chop move on, on, on the pass rush, you know, the, you know, <laughs> over 150 some sacks, you know, his career and,
2: uh. So, well, we you know, gonna talk, we, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about guys. Dent because he Dent is special to me too because he Dent gave my man Todd Bell, who was a teammate of mine and a man that I admired. And the man who, didn't even know it. Taught me how to play strong safety as I was playing corner in college, and he was our strong safety. So we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. We're going to take a break now. you listen to Ray of Sports on the Voice of America Network. Of course, I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. and got my man Chris Slade finally with me on the show here. Of course, play for New England Patriots and a couple other teams. I'm going to let Chris tell you about that on the other side of the break when we come right back.
0: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice of America Sports.
2: All right, you're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. i got my special guest with me, Chris Slade. Uh, former linebacker in the National Football League, of course, played many years with the New England Patriots. Uh, But, Chris, when you left the Patriots, where'd you go?
4: I went to Carolina for one year.
2: Right, okay, okay. You finished your career there in Carolina, am I correct? Fantastic. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, now, you know, uh, of course, the Hall of Famers always get a chance to tell their story and kind of tell people, you know, who was inspirational in their life and, uh, you know, who were some of the people that were, uh, you know, responsible. As we say a lot of times, we we say, hey, I could have never done this. You know, this person is truly responsible for where I am today. Our parents are always a part of that. Some other people, a lot of big, you know, are a big part of that as well. But, you know, I'm going to take you down your Hall of Fame road because if, you know, I don't care what anybody says. If you make it to the National Football League and you play there, I'm going to give you at least, not you, but, you know, if you make it there one year, if you make it there one day, you're extremely special. But if you're going to put a year's time in with the National Football League, then probably coming out of your high school, you got a Hall of Fame career, you know. So I'm, I'm going to say everybody who makes it to the National Football League makes it to somebody's Hall of Fame. So as you go through your Hall of Fame, and it probably was at the university as well, uh, but going through that, man, tell us, you know, some, about some inspirational moments and times and people that helped you throughout your life so that those who are listening might understand, you know, wow, some of those things are going on in my life and people doing those things for me. I might have a chance. Tell us a little bit about that.
4: Well, you know, I think at an early age, like most athletes, I always wanted to be a, you know, wanted to be a professional NFL player or a professional sports person. So I think at an early age, I kind of made my mind. that's what I wanted to do. And I think because I was such a busy and active kid, you know, my parents put me in sports basically just to kind of calm me down a little bit. And at a young age, I mean, I started playing football at like seven, you know, and I played from the time I was seven until I retired at 32, 33. So, Um, And I was, you know, highly decorated in all sports, football, basketball, baseball, and even ran some track in high school. So, you know, for me, just the the sports spectrum started at a young age, and I always was very active in it. So I think early on my parents were very inspirational in me getting involved in sports and kind of kept me grounded and and kept me involved in it, Um, very supportive. And I think throughout my high school career, you know, I was really close to my high school basketball coach, and we're still real close to this day. So he was big in you know just making sure academically that i was I was eligible and, and I qualified for college and even though I wasn't going to play college basketball, and he knew that he was still as involved in in my post career growing up in college and then and then so when I got to college, went to the University of Virginia, you know I played for the you know the great George Welsh who's now in the um college football Hall of fame who was there for seventeen years and he was just a uh, just a great uh, man to play for he was a very strict um uh, no nonsense military guy had been in the navy before Virginia. He was someone who kind of uh, kept me on a straight and narrow, and, and a guy who was didn't take you know didn't take any crap from any, any of his players. So, and then you know I went to the NFL, and you know I got the the honor and privilege of playing for you know four Hall of Fame coaches: Bill Parcells, uh, Pete Carroll, um, George Seifert, and Bill Belichick. You know you, you know you put all the hardware together, man. You know you got Fort Knox. <laughs> you know in terms of civil, you know that all the goals that they've gotten in championships, whether it's the college ranks or in the pros. So. You know, and three of those four guys you know were I mean no nonsense in your face, you know uh, tough coaches, and then kind of Pete had his own little style about discipline, but he was just a different coach, that he was very uh, very much no nonsense. So I've had a lot of um, and of course Barsos led the pack with that whole you know tough guy and discipline and taking no one answer and no excuses and you know uh, so I, I was just very fortunate you know my whole entire career to be around some very good football savvy people. Uh, tough guys and it just kind of helped mold me. And I think a lot of the things that I learned from early in my career from a guy like Bill Parcells uh, you know, especially at a young age going to the NFL at 22 coming out of Virginia, you know, kind of thinking you know everything. And, you know, he, he kind of put things in perspective. And I think back then, uh, kind of looked, listened and laughed and was like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. But now as I've gotten older and retired and got my own family and a wife and, and a child, man, a lot of the life lessons that he was trying to teach me then on the field. Um, even during timeouts or walking up the field, I just kind of listened and gave him a yes sir at the time. But now I'm looking back saying, man, you know, a lot of the things that he said to me was very inspirational It's kind of helped me out in my life. So I've just been very fortunate to have uh, great parents and, and, and teachers and motivators. And again, nine year career, playing for four Hall of Famers, man, you can't beat that. And you got Al Groh, who is my position coach in New England went on to coach at University of Virginia for nine years. He was, uh, you know, amongst all those guys in the coaching realm. He was probably my biggest inspiration uh, just in terms of on and off the field, uh, lessons learned. And so I've just been around a lot of good coaches and a lot of good good people.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, you you mentioned a couple of those coaches that I have a special kind of affinity for, you know, Parcells and Belichick, both, you know, my years that I spent in the NFC East going up against those guys when Belichick, of course, was a part of the staff, you know, with the Giants. I got a tremendous amount of respect for both of those men. And I gotta say, I'm, I'm probably a part of the reason why this man ended up being the way he is, and that is Pete Carroll, because I get, I think I drove him crazy when he was my <laughs> secondary coach, uh, at Ohio State. But uh, uh, I gotta take credit for it, because from the time he left Ohio State, when he came there, wherever he came from, he had already lost part of his mind. But when he came there, he truly lost it. Uh, but he, he, Pete has a, 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 an ability to push you beyond what you ever wanted to do or go to in life as a ball player. And I mean, sometimes he literally get behind you and push you in a drill or something, you know, plenty, but
4: plenty of energy now. Oh yeah. More, more you know, he,
2: definitely, you know, they, they invented the medicine for Pete to calm him yeah. down and he just didn't take, it. he just <laughs> threw it away. But, but listen, one, one thing that I really admired too, uh, was the fact that, you know, media, we always kind of, I gotta say, we, we put a little spin on things. So I, I'm, I'm going to shout out to the Ohio State University because they had a little, a little part in the Hall of Fame Festival too. And I don't think anybody picked up on it. But, but when prime time was up there, Prime, you know, mentioned the fact that he had a coach when he first got to Atlanta. His secondary coach was a guy by the name of Fred Bruni. Fred Bruni, you know, the reason why I don't have any records and nobody else has any records at Ohio State about interceptions is because Fred Bruni was the man at the Ohio State University years ago and a hell of a defensive back. And, of course, he's the guy that when, he, when Prime was there with the Falcons, uh, you know, was his coach. But also Marshall Falk gave a, a special shout-out to uh, his running back coach, which is a dear friend of mine, one of my best friends now, and that is Wilbert Montgomery. You, oh, know, yeah. uh, you know, Will and I played together uh, with Philadelphia, and, you know, Will kind of took me under his wings when he got there. I mean, he was a superstar of the team, and I'm just coming out of Ohio State. I was a 12th-round draft pick, and, you know, and, you know, he kind of let me hang with him, if you will. Uh, let me ask you about your time coming up. That was, that was my rookie year, and, and, and that's great running back was letting me hang out with him and showing me, you know, man, you know, you got to work hard because in the off season, me and him would go in the gym in the weight room and work out. We didn't have one of them, you know, them steroid-looking chests, so we were trying to get one of them in the weight room the real way, you know, but we, it didn't work out <laughs> that way. But, but you know, he took me on his wings and, and taught me how to be a pro football player on, on the football field to do some great things. Was When you came into the league as a young man, did you get embraced by anybody in the league that – you know, had a status a a starter or, or all pro or anything like that. The kind of, you know, you know, today the guys would be playing with them on the video game, then the next day this guy is your boy you hanging out with. Did you have any of that kind of experience when you came into the league?
4: You know, it's funny you mention that. First of all, uh you know, William Montgomery was the guy when I was a little kid growing up in the backyard. I was I was William Montgomery number thirty one. You know, you always got that kid, you always got that guy that you want to be like. Um and everybody of course wants to play running back when they're a kid or quarterback. So, like, you know, Montgomery and Eric Dickerson and all those guys, man, were kind of guys. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, young yeah. Pup. I, wanted to, I was going to be them in the backyard. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, 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 when I first came in the league, you know, Andre Tippett and, and, and Lawrence Taylor were the two big, two idols of mine. Yeah. You know, growing up in Virginia, obviously LT grew up 15 minutes from me in Williamsburg and I grew up in Yorktown, so I followed him since I was a young pup. Um, and, of course, both those guys are your generation, right around your age, actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then when I got to New England, my rookie year was Andre Tippett's 12th year. So, you know, I, I walk in, you know, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm a big-time rookie stud, so I hold out nine days. I don't get to camp until late, so I'm already behind eight ball. Wow. If so I walk in the linebacker room, and, and the first person I look for when I go in as a rookie is I want to know where Andre Tippett is. I want to see the guy that, you know, that I looked up to, I have his post up on my wall. And I walk in, and there's Tippett sitting there in front of the room, and, uh, Kind of give me the evil eye because I'm a rookie and he's already been in camp for two weeks and he's
2: and and you no, might be making talking. more money than him if you were holding. Yeah, out. No
4: doubt, he <laughs> wasn't nearly as good and, and and walked in and that person. I'm like, wow, you know, for the first couple of days, I kind of sat behind him, way in the back, and wow, that's Andre Chippit. You know, I'm actually playing with a guy I looked up to, and you know, took you know, fifth degree black belt that so he got on, the, you know, dojo shirt and all this kind of stuff. So he was obviously an intimidating man on and off the field. And then, you know, and and as time went on, um, you know, I had to, first and foremost, had to earn his respect, which I thought I should have done anyway. And I looked a couple games, man, going into like the fifth or sixth game of the season. I'm starting, you know, so I start probably the last 10 or 11 games of my rookie year. And and there were a couple times I'd actually get on the field in the course of a game. I look over and I'm playing right outside linebacker. And Tip's playing left, I was a linebacker, and I'm saying to myself, wow, I'm actually on the field with this guy. Wow. You know, opposite sides of him. You know, of course, I get all the action because they don't want to run to him. Mm -hmm. So, it's uh, to me, that was like, it was big. And and Andre actually went on to be another one of those guys who was very inspirational in my life. Big brother. um, Whenever I'd need advice or just want to learn how to play the game, um, at the highest level, I'd go sit in his office, and he always had time for me. Even though I was a rookie and I was just out of college and wet behind the ears, and he's the man that, you know, on his way to retire and obviously going to, the Hall of Famer just got inducted back in oh eight. Um, you know, so that was kinda of like a big thrill for me, my whole entire my rookie year, just being around Tippett and learning from him, a guy that you one time, you know, you, you got his football cards and looking at him and looking at his poster to, you know, ten years later you're on the field with him.
2: Well, Now, Chris, man, that, that, that's, uh, you know, very touching for me because I'm born and raised in Canton, Ohio, and I know what it's like that every one of the National Football League players was like that for me. And so right. what, whatever names I could remember. And, and for me, I was drafted to the Philadelphia Eagles and they had just gone to the Super Bowl and I'm drafted in the 12th round. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not holding out like you are. I'm trying to <laughs> hold on, <laughs> you know, but, I, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering like, man, yeah, we have, why you draft me here of all places? The team just went to the Super Bowl. Because, you know, many times, except today, because of free agency, the guys move on. But back then, there was no free agency. And so if a team went to the Super Bowl, you thinking, they don't really need much. They really don't need me if they got an all-pro in front of me at the position I'm going to play. So I, too, like you, walked into the locker room a little bit intimidated, even though we came from some nice programs. You, of course, cool. from the University of Virginia, me coming from Ohio State, you know, and, uh, you know, so I walked in at least with a little bit of of, an advantage when it came to going into the DB room for our meetings because I was the only defensive back that was drafted. So as I sit in the room, it's like, okay, well, at least they wanted me. You other guys, you know, I don't know if they wanted y'all, but but they drafted me. So I tried to find find an edge. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back. Uh, Because we're going to take another break And I'm going to come back And I'm going to ask you What was it that you kind of used In your own mind And nobody else knew about As inspiration and motivation During training camp As you went in to get you That that spot on the roster But also into that starting lineup Where you eventually wanted to end up And then I'm also going to talk to you About holding out Man, I don't even know What that feels like to hold out But we got some music So we're going to take that break Chris Slay, that's right Hold out Hold out and get that money, man. That's what you do. You listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. We're going to find out what the inspiration was and what it's like to hold out when we come right back.
0: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice of America Sports.
2: life halftime, see, because that's when I get to hear that music right here. I like that music. You listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Finnish living like it matters and I'm talking to my man Chris Slade. Uh, of course, uh, Chris uh, played in the National Football League for nine years, uh, spent yep. uh, most of those years with the uh, New England Patriots, and then I think with Carolina Panthers ended up his last uh, season with. Uh, Chris, we, before we went to break, you know, I kind of wanted to ask a question in terms of you know, I used to carry this chip, self-made chip on my shoulder that only I knew about. You know, I always tell kids, when you're out there in the streets, man, there's two people that travel with you all the time. And that is, that's Jesus and the devil. And and, and Jesus on one shoulder and the devil's on the other. To keep Jesus on your left shoulder. That's where your heart at. Keep him in your heart. But the devil messing with you all the time. <laughs> and so I try to get him off. Now, I created these things in my mind, too, when I would play football games. It's like somebody said something about my mama, and I'm taking him out. I'm just going to take his neck off, take his head off. I'm going to... I'm going to hurt him so that he can't play. I'm not going to injure him, but I'm going to hurt his feelings. I'm going I'm to hurt his courage. I'm going to do something to him. But I, I would get my own self, you know, motivate myself, inspire myself to go out. As as you approach your career in the National Football League, you know, we got these superstars that we talk about that we, we've seen on video games, bubblegum cars, all that. We talked about that part of it. What, how did you inspire yourself? To, to, to probably exceed anybody else's expectations when you were a kid, you know, of what you would eventually end up doing. Certainly, you know, if you draft in the first round, I don't believe first round draft picks are, are, are what you call uh, projects. I believe they're production and they need to produce right away. You produce right away. What was the motivation and how did you inspire yourself to get into that starting lineup before the season was over?
4: I, I think for me, um, I always wanted to, to earn respect. Um, and and, and for my not only my teammates but guys I played against and it was always huge for me um, the perception that people had of me um i, I wasn't the best player out there uh, but I was one thing I always wanted to do first and foremost so i didn 't want anybody to outwork me and I always wanted to and i always played hard every single snap whether it was seven on seven whether it was goal line whether it was team and i mean obviously some of the verbs i'm talking about people might understand unless you understand what an actual college or football practice is or, you know Ray all those things man I always wanted to to, to do hard and to do well, excuse me, and to work hard and to go 100%. So that was a that was one of the things I thought that separated me from a lot of guys who kind of came up with me and, and went, on, went on to college and even at the NFL level, you know, being in shape, um, working hard, never taking a playoff because at the end of the day, the way I always thought of it and the way I always perceived myself was, you know, you know, a lot of guys are going to make a lot of money they're going to have a lot of, you know, material things, jewelry, houses, cars, you know, and that go and goes and come. But your reputation and, and what people perceive of you, perceive of you, perceive of you, that to me that was always important. And I and, and I always wanted to earn respect to the guys I played against. So that was always the thing that I was the most scared of. And and once I kinda of felt like I had earned the respect from my peers when I first got to the NFL, like DeAndre Tippins, the Bruce Armstrongs, uh, you know, guy like Drew Bledsoe was the first player to draft, the guy that I played with for a long time. You know, to me that was the most gratifying thing. And I think just my attitude from the start uh, even growing up as a kid, man, always wanted to be in shape. always wanted to work the hardest, always finding extra things to do beyond what my coaches would assign me to do in the off-season program. I always wanted to, you know, run the extra hill, run the extra steps, do the extra, you know, a couple minutes on the jump rope, because I always kind of felt like that gave me the mental edge, and it kind of, not only mentally, but physically, I, always, I felt like a lot of guys just wouldn't do the extra stuff, and, and that always motivated me, and it always kept me going, and, and I grew up, you know. Uh, not the, you know, not the wealthiest kid on the, on the block, you know, so I knew my way of getting out of poverty and, and, and not having things that I always wanted, the luxuries of life, man, I knew I had to make it in, in athletics. So I was fortunate to, to stay focused, man, and just continue to work and, and was able to help my family financially and, and, get a degree from University of Virginia in four years. So to me, it was just a combination of things, but the most Important thing in the that drove me the most was, I think, just trying to um, just get the respect and, and just earn, um, and earn 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 the, the people's trust that I played to keep up with and guys I was, I was around.
2: You know, it's interesting you say that because you know, as I mentioned all the time, I always give a shout out to my hometown, born and raised in the Hall of Fame City, and so man, I got a, I got a love for every man that ever played National Football League. I, I just I just got a special kind of thing for for you and everybody else, and, and so uh, I understand. Chris, what you mean by because when I got a chance to play too, it was important to me that I, I too earned the respect of, of those who played the game because it's one thing about it. We, we may not have made it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You still might make it, but I haven't made it into the Pro. I'm not going to make it. I'm honest about that, but I do want to say this, and I know you feel this way because you mentioned that you played against four of those guys, and I tell you what, if you were at that Hall of Fame festivity, and you were in the crowd someplace you know how we kind of have a couple of things we do by ourselves players get together even if we're there we're still in the crowd we acknowledge each other i know that you could walk with your head up high and give them some dap. And see, that's what I always want to do. Because you know how we are as men. we want oh, yeah. to be honest. Every now and then after somebody walk away, somebody going to say something about, man, you know, who was that? Was man, he nah, He played, but, you know, he, he he was on the team. You know, I never wanted that kind of thing to be said. I wanted there to be some extended conversation about my work ethic, about the fact that I was dependable, that I made plays. And you'd maybe, man, you didn't want to go that way. You want to go the other way. Like you said, you know, when you're a rookie, your tip was on the other side, so they was trying to come to you, and then they found out, man, we just might as well try to go up the middle. You know, it probably wasn't nothing happening up the middle either. So, but I, but I certainly can appreciate the fact that you were willing to do those things. Man, that's, that's really when it's all said and done. You know, we want what we did on the field, and what we did off the field, too, to speak for itself and so that people would continue to talk about it. Because I always tell my son, listen, son, They pay people to write and talk about what you do. You don't have to do it. You ain't got to say a word about it. If you do it right, somebody else is going to get paid to talk about it and to write about it. And the TV will will play it if if you do it right. So I appreciate that. But let me say something else, man. I got to talk about this. And I hope I got enough time. Give me a little bit here. uh, Let me know, Monk, how many more minutes I got here to talk about this because... I have the, the the pleasure every Tuesday morning to see my man Kwame Lassiter coming here, and I and I and I tease Kwame when I see him, and I talk to him all the time because he got the, he had that franchise tag on him. I said, let me feel what franchise feels like. I, you know, just tap you on your shoulder, brother, because I never had that tag on my back before. But now I got to talk about holdout. See, because I I never ha- I caused I caused a whole lot of holding out in Philadelphia. I got to be honest about that. Because you know, Chris, sometimes every now and then, man, we, we everybody we love each other, but every now and then somebody might say, Man, okay, if he got that, I gotta get this. And a little bit of that might go on, but but then again, it might be what you want. You ain't worried about what nobody else wants. So I just want you to explain to those out there who never had the experience. How does one get to the point where he decides to hold out when he's getting offered? Money, regardless of how much. How does one come to that conclusion that we're going to hold out? Walk us through that experience here at well, Voice America it Sports.
4: My rookie year um, with me was, you, you know, I, I, made a, I think I made a silly statement in the breaking said I had no choice. Of course, I had a choice. You know, I could have still went in and played for the peanuts that they were offering me. Um, okay, wait hey, a
2: second. Hey, let's, let's put it in perspective. Peanuts. Okay. Peanuts in that year of 1993. What was peanuts at that time?
4: Uh, I can't remember what they offered me, but it was a lot <laughs> less. Than, I, I think it was under. I think here's the thing where it, was, it ended up being. We just want to
2: put it in perspective because, you know, right now, the minimum salary for the guys right now, the minimum is 550 So that's we just want to put it. For for, for, that's for rookies. That's for rookies. Wow. Oh, no. A second year player. Second year player wow. was $550. It was like,
4: one, it was like 90 uh, For 94,000, it's like 95 to 100,000 my rookie year. See, and for me,
2: for me, my second year when we went on strike, the minimum salary was 40,000. So it went from 40 to 90 something in 93, and in 2011, second year player minimum was 550. So, okay, so your peanuts was more, your peanuts was around a half a million to a million. We talking yeah. but we don't get into yeah. your money, we just want them to know what peanuts was at that time right. okay I
4: understand, I understand. Right. <laughs> that's fair, and, and the thing about it is, is, is obviously in retrospect to the average nine to five hardworking person you know that's not peanuts, but and in, in, in all it's all relative to what the act for my sport and my profession at the time oh yeah it no was a lot of money no Chris yeah. no
2: that's relative because i what I want people to understand is how hard what you did made it better for the guys today, yeah, so that's what yeah. i that's the point I'm trying to make that peanuts back then has changed to what peanuts is today, but yeah. but but because of what you did back then, peanuts today is, you know, a whole lot hell of a lot more than they were back then. So go ahead, we got two minutes, and right, we, go, now, but I'll we can quick. finish this on the other side of break. No, go ahead with it, and I'll lead yeah. you in the break when we have to.
4: No, absolutely, man. And and here's the thing, Ray. If we were first year the um, the salary cap, the rookie salary cap, you know, the gentleman that was handling the cap for us. Um, and, and basically, I, I got the fortunate but unfortunate luck of being with Drew Bledsoe in the same draft class. He was the number one pick of the draft. Uh, he got, I guess, was like 47% of the pie uh, of the rookie salary cap. I guess you allotted X amount of dollars at the time. I can't remember what the exact number was, but Drew got 47% of it. And then you're looking at eight other guys who got drafted that year. We had three guys in the second round with myself, 31st pick of the draft. And we had Todd Rucci from Penn State. Then we had Vincent Brisby, who was a receiver from Louisiana. Um, so we had three guys in the second round. And then after that, you know, you got your third, fourth, fifth, and so on picks. You know, we even had Troy Brown in that class, who was the last player picked in our draft. Oh yeah. You can only imagine what kind of crumbs he must have gotten. And he up, it would ended up being the best player out of all of us and mm. played the longest in New England. So long story short, man, we didn't. they didn't do a good job, I thought, of allocating the, the cap dollars to everyone. Drew obviously, number one player to draft, is going to get – Taken care of first, as he should, and he did. So my agent and I talked, and, and we decided, hey, we're going to hold out and try to get your get your worth or close to it, which you should get as the number one first player, second player picked in the second round, who nowadays, two years later after that, 95, I would have been the first round draft pick because of the expansion with Carolina and Jacksonville. So, um, you know, now with the 31, you know, back then we didn't have the, the 31, 32 teams, but now – we do so that was kind of the deal. Um, it was a long ten, ten, eleven day holdout. You know, I missed as you know, you got two a day, so I missed eighteen total practices. So I'm behind the eight ball the whole entire season. Um, but I, I came in and in shape, ready to go, and I started off as kind of a pass rush specialist on third down, and then I was able to allocate my game to a, a full time starter by week five or six. So which is what I alluded to earlier in the in the, um, in, in the telecast, but. Uh, you know, it was tough, man, because I, I was, you know, being a rookie coming up to New England. The team wasn't any good. They were like, I think, one and fifteen the year before I got there, two and fourteen. So I had no right. I'm in my mind to be holding out, but I knew at that time I had to do uh, what was best for me and my family, and that I thought was going to be fair.
2: Now it's interesting that, that you said uh, 1993. See, that's an historical time of of of. of God, a calendar year, the calendar period 1993 as it relates to football because that, of course, is uh, the benchmark of which negotiations mm-hmm. always look to because it was the pre-1993 and then, of course, the post-1993 uh, in terms of that's exactly right. And Reggie, God bless him, one of my teammates with the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles. Never saw, it. there never was a better defensive lineman than Reggie. I don't care what anybody, that's my, yeah. that's my he, opinion. He was, he was the first big free agent that oh, around yeah. uh, that yeah. time. Yeah, it, it, it Reggie was big into money. everything. He he, he was, yeah. I mean, Reggie just got it done and, 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 and thank God for Reggie because he opened up the purse strings, uh, to football for, for yeah. everybody to have a chance to, to earn a, a, a very good living and, and playing the game. But, but certainly you mentioned some things there. You mentioned about, 47 percent of the cap going to the first round what pick which which happened to be a quarterback now let's just explain to those fans out there listening is that typical that there is a percentage of amount of the money that's delegated and allocated for the rookies to come in per team that there is normally if you got a quarterback or whoever that first round pick is you can assume that he is going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of close to 45 to 50 percent of that Funds those funds that are allocated for that rookie class.
4: I, I think it's fair, especially if, if he's a quarterback. They're gonna always they can always get the majority of the money. They're the you know according to the experts the most important player on the team. Uh, it's a high high profile position, as you know, and it's it's a tough position. I think it's the toughest position uh, mentally and physically in, in all of sports. Um, and, and, they don't always get the most money. And whether we think it's right or whether we think it's fair, they get the most blame when things go wrong and they get the most praise when things go right. So that's just kind of the nature of the business. And you just, you as a teammate and, and a player in the National Football League, you just have to learn to accept it and, and deal with it. And that was, and I felt victim of that situation my rookie year. um, dealing with the fact that Drew was not only the first player picked on our, in our draft, but the first overall player picked in the whole entire draft. Right. So right. it was a, uh, interesting to say the least, uh, situation, but Drew went on to to have a great career, and, and he got what he deserved. And he he was the uh, you know the face of the franchise for a long time.
2: Yeah, you know, looking at today's uh, NFL, uh, it looks like uh, the new CBA um, has uh, has been written in such that uh, you can jeopardize a season. Uh, towards free agency if you hold out beyond a certain period of time. And I think uh, Deshaun Jackson was about to fall victim to that and realize that, man, let me get in camp. You know, if they're going to do something, let me go in camp. And perhaps because I think that's what the league wants to do is the league, if they're going to negotiate something with you and you're deserving of it, I think they've agreed that they're going to be fair, I'm assuming.
4: Right. Here's my problem with all these contracts that are going on, even when I played and even today, If if you have a contract, honor it now i know that you know after a couple years you're in your contract and you have a couple good years and see if a guy for example signs a five-year deal and he'll play the first unit year, two years of it he's ready to tear the contract up and get a new deal now don't get me wrong I-, I think that every player should get paid according to their worth but if that's the case why even have contracts and i think there's so many players you know they have a couple good years and they start reading press clippings and seeing what their peers are doing and what they're making they get answered they want to hold out they want to come to camp hey when you you sign the contract you you liked it then so just like it till you till you till you play through it. I, I think that's kind of gotten blown. I, I think that's kind of lost its perspective of honoring your contract. Don't breach your contract. If you liked it when you signed it, play it out. You know, and and if you continue to prove your worth, the money's going to be there. That's the only problem I have with today's generation. Even when I played, I see guys have a five year deal and after the first year. They want to hold out because they want more money. Come on, I mean just. So your deal
2: out. Yeah, and you know what? I'm I'm going to you know I'm gonna meet you halfway there, because one thing that I during my days of playing, you know, Dick Vermeil was one of the first coaches that I ever knew. I could, to this day I can picture him walking over to me. Putting his hands on my shoulder, kind of slapping me on the back, and you know, congratulating me on the way that I played, uh, you know, last the previous year, and even throughout preseason and the first couple games we had, and said that you know he was going to bring me upstairs and we were going to talk about you know looking at my contract and maybe you know doing it over again. I was happy about that. Of course, we went on strike and it didn't happen, so I had to wait. Now I told you that I did. I was not a holdout. However, I did cause some problems because I did negotiate a contract that caused a few people to hold out and even betrayed my good friend, Wilbur Montgomery. I love him to death, bro. But there were some issues there that Wilbur didn't necessarily agree with based upon some, you know, money that came my way, didn't go his way or some other guy's way. And he ended up in Detroit. But, but let me just say this, here's, here's the thing about it. When I first made the team in the Philadelphia Eagles, the general manager, Carl, um, uh, Carl at that time, uh, what is Carl's last name? Can't even remember his last name. Uh, but general manager for the, Philadelphia Eagles, congratulates me and says, I want to congratulate you on making the team thus far because we have been known to let people go throughout the year. They were cutting people week by week. Mm-hmm. They weren't even waiting until the end of the season. They, they were cutting people week by week. So if it's a contract, it's a kind of a one-sided contract. And I got somebody who's a former agent on there. I'd like to hear what her opinion is. That's Miss Kim Harper. She's joined us on the line here. And and Kim, uh, I was talking to our good friend Chris, Chris Slade, uh, former New England Patriot linebacker, and we're talking about contracts. And Chris mentioned that, hey, that players should honor their contract. They shouldn't be trying to hold out if they got another year left on that contract. Uh, Kim, I know you did some contracts back when I was playing. What's your perspective on – because an owner can cut a player any time. So what's your perspective on players negotiating a contract in the midst of a contract or you think they should honor and play those contracts out?
3: Well, see, it's kind of a, two, a double-edged sword for me because – as a player, I think players deserve to get as much money and compensation as they possibly can because of the stresses that are put on their lives, both family, personal, professional, as well as their bodies. However, once you make that contract, uh, I think you have an obligation to honor it because what players have to realize is that there's always going to be the following year there's always going to be somebody that makes more money there's always going to be somebody that gets a bigger house so if what you're doing is looking for a way to get into a contract so you can try to renegotiate that contract and not have to prove yourself i think that's a a, a bad deal to do a lot of players want to go into a long-term situation and then when they say see other players for whatever reason, get better compensation, they want to opt out. If what you're looking for is uh, to see what other players are getting, then your option should be to honor the contract you enter into, just get it to a short-term contract. And a lot of people don't want to do that, but if what you want to do is wait and see what happens a couple of years down the line and then have a legitimate reason to get out of that contract because you're about to be a free agent or you only have one year left and this is the final year of your deal, you're in a better position because you only signed for two years.
2: Hey, Chris, I'm going to throw it back on you now. Okay, you say honor the contract. What about the guys that we know who, who play tremendous football? They're in the last year of their contract, and they get hurt. And there's, no ex, there's no extended year on that contract. So it could have, whatever how many years it was. You're in the last year, it. you get hurt. They honor your contract for that year, but they don't give you a chance to come back. The next year and try to perform, and then because of the injury, they may not even want to sign you. I know Byron Evans, who's uh, you know the show here with us, uh, Hard Hitting Radio with uh, Mark McMillan, he was a victim of that. Uh, how do you feel about that?
4: I mean, I agree, and it, it, his the flip side of that is, and, and Kim brought up some, some excellent points, um, first in but the flip side of that is, I think, uh, you know, say if you that guy, has a, for example, has a five year deal and you get your contract in like in a year 2 or 3 the 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 club comes in and wants to uh redo your deal or, or give you an extension and you get hurt and then they cut you afterwards so i guess either way you you know it's you it's in a no one situation because if they don't bring you back because you're injured then you don't get your money if you try to get an extension and then they try to get you back on the practice field for like just like you all you know the old thing just get you on film for one play they'll cut you and they bring you back get you on film for a play and, and they'll still release you so I think that it it, it, go, it kinda of goes both ways. I mean it is the NFL. Um and, as you know it, it's not it's not fair, never have been, never gonna be, just because the owners own and the players play. So they're gonna make decisions based on what they think is best for their franchise a lot of times. And a lot of people's feelings get hurt. Um and it's just it's just the nature of the beast. I think that uh at the end of the day I think that yes, players should get paid their worth accordingly to the market value, but at the same time, I, maybe I'm just old school I, I think if you if you have a contract uh, play it out to the to to, to close as you can to the end. Obviously, if you have a year left and they want to rip it up and extend you, that's their, their circumstances. But mm-hmm. I think you get guys with these five and six year deals, and they they play two years of it. They want to hold out of camp. That's the biggest problem I have. I think if you get close to the end and the team wants to come in and say, hey, "Chris, hey, or whoever, whoever, we want to renew your deal," because that's what happened to me in New England. Yeah, they, we had had some plenary talks as my original contract after my second year, and then I had signed like a, thir- a three year deal. But we just said we're gonna play one, play the third year out and then you I then I became what they call a restricted free agent. I went back to New England for one year and then after after my fourth year I became the unrestricted and obviously I, I, I did a brand new deal with them and, you know, played that whole deal out. But um I, I just think that, you know, it's the NFL and knowing like like Kim said, you know, there are always going to be guys making more money, there are always going to be guys with bigger houses and better cars. You just have to be, uh, in the grand scheme of things, fortunate and blessed that, you know, you're making more than a school teacher who probably has more influence on the people than you do. Well, uh, Another an,
3: another thing you could do also is make those provisions, make your agent write in provisions where as you play along, maybe as that year progresses and you get toward the end of that contract, maybe you can pick up some more guaranteed money in a, in a separate deal that will not affect the salary cap as well. So maybe you'll get that grand bonus at the end of the year. So if you do get injured, you just got a $3 million payment. You should be able to work that, and if, unless you're going out and buying everybody you know a house or a car. You should be able to put some money aside for that retirement because you should be thinking that in the grand scheme of things. As an NFL player, unlike baseball or basketball, you don't have 10 years or 16 or 20 years down the road. Those are exceptional players in exceptional circumstances, most don't last except for between the four to seven year period.
2: Well, I, I don't know what went on in this negotiation, but I'm, I'm sure you're probably going to uh, agree with me on this, Chris, and probably you too, Kim, as well. Uh, but for the first time, and it looks like uh, we're about to wind down, so I'm going to make this comment and we're going to have to close, but it looks like for the first time, I'm seeing a lot of contracts that have guaranteed money. I mean, they're not necessarily identified as a signing bonus. Uh, They're identifying it as guaranteed money. It may be in the form of a signing bonus, but for the first time in the history of the National Football League, you're seeing a lot of contracts that have a term attached to it, guaranteed money. And, and I'm happy because, as you know, the National Football League stands for not for long, and it won't be very long that <laughs> they'll be playing that game that they love. Hey, listen, I'll tell you what I love. I love the fact that my two friends called in, uh, was on the show with me today. Uh, Chris Slade, of course, will be here with us on the Voice America Network real soon with his own show. Want to thank Chris. And of course, our legal correspondents and, uh, and former agent, uh, Kim Harper joined us. And, uh, of course, they both will be back in the future. you listen to Rail and Sports on the Voice of America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters and I got to go so I'll see you next time which will be the best time. you like you can press fast forward.